Amen, Jesus. That your greatness takes our breath away, Lord. What else can we say, Lord? As we look into the beauty of your holiness, as we gaze into that beauty, as we gaze and as, we, as, as, as your glory, the weight of your presence comes upon us, Lord Father, and that as we have even experienced that this morning, nothing else seems to matter, Lord. It just literally takes our breath away, Lord Father, that we are so, in, and so engulfed in just exp exploring more and more of who you really are. So this morning, I just ask and pray, Father, that, Lord, our ears would be unstopped, Lord, Father, our hearts would be at the right place to receive as we continue to receive from you, Lord. Father, you're wonderfully just moving and speaking through so many individuals here today, Lord, Father, we thank you for all your servants, Lord. Continue to declare to us, Lord. Lord, as we have declared to you, turn that around and declare to us, Lord, that our barns will be full, that our houses will be blessed, that sickness is not going to overtake us, no plague is going to consume us, and Lord, that many will come to know the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones. Amen. Those that walk on the streets, Lord Father, they Amen. will have a Damascus Road experience. Mm -hmm. yes, Lord. Oh God, we believe for that, Lord. Mm. We believe for that. We believe that this cross is an indication of your saving grace. That everyone and anyone that looks at it, Lord, mm. Lord, is going to be drawn to Calvary. Amen. Let it happen, Lord. Let it happen. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Folks. Welcome, please be seated. Feel free to greet someone behind you, fist bump or elbow, or just a high, just a high will do and you know, that, that sort of a thing. So thank you so much. I'm, I'm gonna pick up on uh, what, I, what I shared last week and I, I, I took Corinthians and I shared a little bit of a modern twist to it. So I want you to picture with me, I want you to come on this journey. I'm not going to repeat a lot of what I said last week because otherwise I'll, you know, it may be a 52-week uh, part series, you know, so I, 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 won't, I won't do that to all of us here this morning. So Paul visiting Corinth, so it's, it's the year 2022, right? So continuing with the, with the story, he comes across a few women. And he's puzzled by the term denomination. So he visits Corinth, right? And he's, and he's, he's puzzled. So, he's, so this is the question, what, what is that? And so one of the women, Sarah, she laughs at the confused look on Paul's face. She explains, a denomination is an organization that consists of all the churches in all of the towns around the world who believe and who carry the same name. They have a headquarters which governs the individual churches. How about telling me what churches teach? So this is inquisitive Paul coming 2,000 years later and visiting the current church. Note, he's all, he wrote to the Corinthians, right in the early church, he wrote to them. And he addressed the division that was there in that house. But that division was pale in comparison to what is present in today's day and age. Right? And so picture this man now coming. So he says, how about telling me what churches teach? The younger girl, Bethany, continued, a friend of mine at school told me his church doesn't believe that Jesus performed miracles and never really rose from the dead. I told him his church and others like that are not Christians. I was on social media the other day and I was looking through actually something, I think it's Daniel Hagen, 
was featured on something, and I was reading through all of the threads because I, I, I know some people will have particular aspects about what, what he says and all, and, and all of that. So I just, I just wanted to know, you know, and see what are some of these individuals saying, and one in particular, um, because the statement was that um, I can hear Jesus that I can talk to Jesus. I think he mentioned that, something along those lines. And so this individual had began to write and say that, how can we hear Jesus at this point in time? Because the Bible is all we need. We don't need to hear Jesus because everything that we need to hear is in the Word of God. So since the perfect has come as such. And so there was this, um, um, this, this, this thread that was just going on, and I was just reading it, and if I... Continue to read. It would have taken quite a, quite a long while. But can you imagine that this is this is out there, right? And quoted Hebrews as well in in relation to that. That now, we we now only just need to subscribe to just the Word of God as hearing God as such, right? So here here this this other person said that. One church down the road from my house teaches that if you say Jesus is God, then you have more than one God. So they say Jesus isn't really God, isn't really one God. Then there are Mormons who then believe that Jesus and Satan were brothers up in heaven or something like that. So Paul quickly glanced at the two women and asked, what do the names Lutheran and Wesleyan mean. And you know, the more I began to think and write this down, I, I really thought, man, remember last week I said, how many denominations are there? How many? This is a pop quiz. Sorry? 38,000. 38,000 denominations. Okay? 38,000 denominations. So Paul quickly glanced at these two women and asked about Lutheran and Wesleyan, right? Bethany responded fairly quickly and spoke. Lutherans were the first Protestants who broke away from the Catholic Church. They called themselves after Martin Luther, who spoke out against the Catholics who were selling forgiveness for money. What? Paul exclaimed, selling forgiveness? God doesn't require money to forgive you? Why would they? Okay, okay. Just go on, just go on. Tell me some more. Tell me some more. What else? Were they not excommunicated for doing such a thing? No, the Catholic Church were the church. They said they could do anything they wanted. They made the rules. So that was the rule then, but it isn't anymore. However, there are many other things they believe that Protestants don't. Example, praying to Mary because she was perfect and apparently never sinned. They even call her mother of God. Paul asks, do you think division would end if someone would come and answer the church's questions and try to resolve the matters that separate them? So Sarah answered, I don't see how. Who could do it? Theologians have debated the issues and still disagree. We disagree about the meaning of communion. Whether women should be allowed to preach. Is everyone a priest? That is the priesthood of all believers. We agree about whether you have to... We disagree about whether you have to be baptized to be saved. If Christians should tithe, should we keep to the Sabbath... Now, if Peter, James, and I were around, we would have shut the heresies down. But judging from what I've learned, the church in Corinth is fractured into many pieces. No wonder the merchant that I met earlier that you would have heard me share about last week had no idea how he would pick a church. 
In fact, the spread of division is, is rampant and it is spreading. I will continue to hope that there will be a day when believers in Corinth heeded these words that I wrote to them. Maybe that day is gone. How troubled would Paul actually be if he were to actually visit our cities today, folks? Filled with churches doing their own thing. And even shocking is that within the church lie more divisions. Then you know what we have today is a form in the form of division is way more potent than the church of Corinth that Paul initially wrote to. And yet, he rebuked them for far less in an intense form of division. So imagine what he would say to us now. So let's look at a couple of verses today. I wish I'd put these on PowerPoint, but let's start with John chapter 17, the prayer of Jesus. Verse 20 to 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. All these verses that I'm picking, I, I, I want you to really view it as if you're reading it for the first time. Just ask the Lord to give you this, 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 this new set of glasses. Because boy, this verse here is one of the most powerful verses that I feel I've, I've, I've really come to know. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So this is a prayer that Jesus prays before he goes to the cross, folks, right? Here, here he's praying for oneness for his disciples, knowing that he won't be with them physically. Right? He won't be around to attend to their squabbling. Example, who's the greatest? Who will sit at your right hand? And so on and so on and on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united. And look here, united in what? In mind, and some versions put in judgment, in thoughts. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Can you imagine us being in agreement with, in mind and in judgments? Guys, we can't even agree about the vaccination. We can't even agree about the, the, uh, the, the restrictions. We can't agree about so many different things, right? As I pointed out to you last week, you, I, I hope I did, you can come here and sit down here as a vax or an unvax. But the minute you stand up and you move this, you've got to be double backs. Just has got no sense to that at all. Right? So there is all this, even it's out there. And, and, and imagine all of that coming into the house of the Lord. Right? And bringing about the division in the house. So, some here say, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. 
And so, can you imagine now Paul is really, really mad with the fact that there are factions in the church that say, I follow Brett, I follow Malcolm, I follow Stephen. And that in itself, Paul is already abhorrent about it. And he comes so strongly and he says, is Christ divided? For that, he's coming now and he's saying, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? <laughs> Were you baptized in the name of Paul? The apostle clearly articulates that in his prayer that we are all to be of the same mind and judgment. He gives us some really clear goals. He says, the father and the son do not disagree. In fact, they never disagree. If we are one as they, as, as they are one, can this be true of us? Can this really be true of us? Right, the next verse, Romans chapter 16, verse 17, it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. So it says, watch for those who are actually bringing division. There are among those There are, sorry, there are those among us who push their own doctrines or agendas and cause division. They lead us to quarrel and squabble, useless and probably unimportant things, and using the Bible as their premise. That happens. In Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 1, this is, this is fairly long. But this is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture in the Bible when it comes to the context of unity. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And in verse 11, it says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of services so that the body of Christ may be built. May be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. God is keen and is in, interested in our maturity, folks. Last week I talked about the context of not drinking milk anymore. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him. Who is the head that is Christ? So take note. Who is the head that is Christ? So... Where is the body, if I were to ask you? Who is the body? The church. The church. So where is the body? Around the world. And where is Christ? He is the, he is the head. Where is Christ? Everywhere. Is, is Jesus Christ really everywhere? Okay, keep... Keep, keep the thought there. So if he's seated at the right hand, is he in heaven? Okay, good. Thank you. Fantastic. Keep that thought in the back of your mind, huh? So, as I mentioned, it's probably one of the most important verses in the Bible about unity. Paul speaks on what we must all share in common, and the ultimate goal is this to bring the body of Christ to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
That is what this is about. That he wants to bring us to the fullness of the stature of, of Christ. So everything that Christ did, we are to come into that place of having that fullness of that, right? So he speaks of the church being a living organism in which all parts are connected and working properly together. Now, can you imagine the Lord? He's waiting over 2,000 years and having to settle for less. I mean, Christmas Day, can you see kids waiting to open their present and you prolong that from midnight to morning and you think they're going to sleep? In fact, actually, do you think you are going to sleep? They will not let you sleep, right? They will be on your case because of the excitement, right? So this morning, I want to come back to John chapter 17 and this is the verse that I'm going to bank on, right? And I'll, and I'll try and, I mean, not try, I'll finish this up here on this verse alone. I'll tackle all of the other verses separately at some other time. So my prayer is not for them alone in John chapter 17, verse 20. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, right? I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world, and hear this, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Have you, have you in your own relationship with the Lord, Looked at particular verses, you read and you skim through and you feel that that's in the two hard basket. So I won't bother to really look deeply into that and you just leave it by the wayside. This has been that for me. And I believe maybe for many, many people. Because I don't know whether we really truly know the magnitude of this verse. Take note, who's praying this prayer? Jesus is praying this prayer. No, Jesus is praying this prayer. Never occurred to me. In all of my 40 years of being a believer, only now it occurred to me, Jesus prayed this prayer. So will Jesus' prayer be answered? Think about it. He is in perfect union with the Father. So when he prays a prayer, don't you think that prayer can be answered, should be answered, could be answered, right? But let's tackle that as to what and how that can be answered. So will God, think to answer Jesus' prayer, right? Now the essence in this prayer is unity because unity is in question here. Now there are two issues from this verse as you read that, right? Now, how does our grossly divided condition affect our ability as a church to fulfill, to fulfill our mission here on earth? Right? Uh, the, the division that's within, and when I say church, I don't, I don't necessarily mean just our church. I mean church in general. But even if we look at our church and, we, and, and as we ponder on the division that's, that's, that's present, right? How do we then fulfill our mission here on earth. Remember, he prays his prayer before going to the cross. He leaves all the disciples behind, and he knows what's going to be going through. But he prays his prayer, right? The second point is this. Will God now answer in any literal or visible sense the prayer of Jesus for his disciples to be one? Right? Note, that in the case of Paul, if he had not intervened in the Corinthian church, they would have continued in their division and strife that would have actually really separated, would have brought separation from one another. Right? That would have been the first case of separation anxiety there. Right? They would have argued and debated till the cows come home and simply would have, that, 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 that church would have torn, 
torn apart. So when he heard about it, his immediate question to them was like a real blow to the head. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? That's why he brought them too. Guys, stop talking about Paul, Apollo, Cephas, or whatever. Now, is Christ firstly divided? And that's a question to you and I today. Is Christ divided? So Paul's warning against them was that, uh, sorry, against what was against what was developing in the pipeline should they continue on this way. That was Paul's warning, right? I'm warning you guys against what is going to continue, what is going to happen, what is going to develop out of this, because it always starts in something small and it develops into something big, amen? Coming to our modern-day context, don't we see this really happening? In fact, it has already happened, really. So, folks, if the body of Christ, the church, is truly divided as it appears to be, is Christ then, is Christ not divided? Not is Christ divided, but is Christ not divided because the body is divided? Have we and generations in the past not done the unthinkable thing? That is, we divided the body into pieces. We fractured the church. It's a puzzle. The church is a puzzle, and it's confusing, as I said last week, for any person out there to consider which church should I go to? Why should I go here and not there? They dress like this, they dress like that. They sing like this, they sing like that. They do communion this way, they do communion that way. Right? So as believers, we have a tendency to think that Christ's body as something that exists apart from him. So remember the question that I asked you earlier, because he is in heaven and his body, the church, is on earth. But the head and the body are actually what? Connected, correct? The head and the body is actually connected. So in the spirit, two are not separate. The two are not separated. And they are not separate as such. Which is why Paul exclaimed the way he did, is Christ then divided? Is Christ divided? That's where he's coming from. So it is self-evident that we cannot truly function as a body if we are not connected to one another. In the true sense of what a body is, we cannot really function. A foot cannot function unless it is connected to the leg. Correct? A hand or a heart or a kidney is of no value sitting somewhere alone and dismembered or severed. If one part of the body is to provide service to the rest of the body and in return be nourished by all the other parts, they must all be connected. John 15 says, abide, stay connected. The branch cannot be severed. So now you ask yourself, you sit where you are. And you're not really part of the body in terms of nourishing the body nurturing the body. Ask yourself, what are you doing in this body, this church, that nurtures and nourishes the body? Because if the kidney is, this, is severed, if the lung is severed, if it's something that is severed in your body, it is not going to nurture this body. I cannot, my physical body, cannot continue living the way it lives if something in me is not working properly, correct? But we think that the body of Christ can function regardless, even we have the 80-20 thing. 20% of, of the people do 80% of the work. So even in your contribution, if you are not contributing from a biblical standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, how can the body function? So, this is why unity is indispensable. And we need to ask ourselves, what is this unity? 
that the Bible really clearly speaks of that we don't fully understand nor have come to terms with. Where the word of the Lord says, where two agree upon anything on earth, it shall so be done in heaven. I pray with people and I think we're agreeing. People come and pray with me and they think I'm agreeing. And I say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing, I'm agreeing. But I've not come to that real agreement. I am doing the prayer. But it's like I can't believe for that. So the whole context of this oneness needs to take on a different shape and form. And, 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 and how is that going to happen? Hence why I'm taking us on this journey on a series because I'll, I want us to fully try and develop this. Because it's, it's, it's not one message, it's not one, one Sunday fix. There are things that I'm, I'm laying before you and I'm throwing before you. And I want you to take that. I want you to dwell on that during the week. I want you to dig deep into it. I want you to ask yourself, I am digging deep into it. So I want to take you on this journey. Because this is powerful. When it comes to the body and who we should be and the unity, and we've read so many verses like that, is one of the most powerful um, states that the church needs to be in because we're living in a day and age where we have been pushed to be divisive. The enemy is having a heyday with us. And we need to get far wiser. And we need to know how to deal with the Spirit. Literally deal with the Spirit. Right? So we ignore this prayer, right? Sorry, I said that. This is why unity is indispensable to the church's mission. We simply cannot function as a body of Christ when we are not joined to one another. And Jesus knew this, right? So he prayed that we will all be one. This is why he prays before going to the cross. We will all be one because I know when I leave and when I go, you guys are going to be fractured. It's all going to be fragmented. So I'm going to pray this and I'm going to believe. I'm going to pray to my father and I'm going, and I'm going to believe this. Can you imagine Jesus praying this prayer for us? So the world would know that he, sent, that he was sent by the father. And look here, that we will be one. When we are one, the whole context of, is there really a God? Is Jesus really real and all of that? Ask yourselves, all of the apologetic questions may not even be required to be answered. Because here the Bible says that when we are one, the world will know that he has been sent. When we are one. So that is why I'm saying that I've glossed over this, word, this, this, this verse so many times. And, 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 and read that. And read that thanks, and and read that several times, right? And just wondered, never gave it much, never gave it much thought at all. Hallelujah. So, so we ignore this prayer. In fact, gloss over it and pretend that the world somehow will know that Jesus was sent by the Father simply because we got and we say so. Hey, G-, you know, Jesus came. Because I'm saying it, you've got to believe it. Friends, something deeper needs to happen. Something that unleashes the miraculous. Something that unleashes the supernatural. Not just our words. Something else needs to. There must be a sense and a feel that, you know, when you come and when you are in the presence of God, there is a sense of faith that you know, man, this God is here present. Hallelujah. So there is something really awesome and powerful that happens, right? Amen. So, no matter how disconnected and divided we remain, that there should be very, there should be very little basis for such a conclusion that it is, you know, as we look through this verse and we read it and it's like, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. I read through, oh, whatever it's going to happen, it will just happen. She'll be right, mate. You know, that kind of a setting, right? But this is not that kind of a verse, folks. This cannot be that kind of a verse. Why? I'll, I'll explain to you why. Whilst we may be happy that some measures of harvest we see, some measure of 
harvest worldwide. But there are millions upon millions who are still in darkness, not knowing that Jesus was sent by the Father to save mankind. The answer to that is found seriously, literally in this prayer that Jesus prayed. Right? He says to his followers, they, the world, will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. By how I love you. And again, you know, I'm not belaboring the point, but, you know, I mean, just this, just this morning, I, I don't know, I think uh, Stuart was saying, or someone was saying that, oh man, it's just, it's just hard. It's just hard. You know, it's just hard. And, and it's not wrong to confess that it's just hard because if, if I come and tell you it's just hard, you know what I expect from you? Deep within, I'm, I'm expecting this. Come and console me, please come and encourage me. But I can't tell you to do that. So when you say, how are you? I'm okay. Because I know if I tell the truth, it ain't going to change anyway. Right? So how do we love better, folks? I don't really have the answer. But I know scripture does. The word of God has. Hallelujah. So these are not really obscure, not confusing words. They, they, when you read that, can you are, you, are you confused? It's not confusing. It's, it's, it's straightforward. The language is so clear. And precise. Arguing with one another and worshipping under the same roof is hardly expressions of love. We have it in family. One theologian puts it this way. The message that must be carried to the unbelieving world is this. Jesus was not just a man and not just a good teacher. He was and is the only begotten Son of God. Sent to earth by the Father in heaven, to save mankind. It is not enough to say these words. We must demonstrate the veracity of our oneness. We must demonstrate the veracity of our oneness. This is clearly the essence of Jesus' prayer. We often wonder, how do we convince that Jesus is not just a historic figure, well, like Buddha, Confucius, or Muhammad? who died and was simply buried, as is the destiny of mere mortals. By the way, just as an ad for next week, I'm going to be talking about mere men that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. And it's a really interesting Greek word that is used to describe that that we shouldn't even be describing ourselves as. But we've made to believe that, oh, I'm just a human. There's something greater that God has done to you and I when we were born again. There's something far greater. You are a walking, not time bomb, but you are this walking, uh, powerful, anointed servant of the Most High God. I mean it. You are the most powerful being. I don't even know. I, I personally don't know how powerful that is, even, in, even myself. Like you, we all experience bits and pieces here and there. Right? Hence the context of abiding. Hence the context of Jesus praying this prayer. Secondly, he says this, how can we persuade the, the world that Jesus is the Son of God in the in the flesh, sent by the Father above. These are things that we keep wondering, how can I go out there and persuade this person out there? What scientific proof can we offer? What would really persuade them? I better study apologetics so I can, better, I can be better armed when these questions are put to me. But folks, I think there's a simple answer here. Whilst they are really tough questions. We need to realize that he has already told us and we have ignored his un unambiguous words. So what did Jesus exactly ask for in that prayer in John 17? 
In this prayer, Jesus is asking the Father to accomplish something huge. Something really, really big. It's humongous. Something that without his intercession would not be possible at all. Something that only the Son of God had the faith to request. So Jesus, with his faith now, is making this request to the Father and saying, make them one. Let them be one as I am one with you and they with me. Right? So he's making this. And let's look at that prayer again. That we have a part to play in this, in this prayer, right? And this is where I'm, I'm going to unpack and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll leave this here. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one. As you, Father, so Jesus, that they may all, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. Right? Uh, Sam, Krista, and uh, Malcolm, just come here, please. Stand here so you can be seen. Right in front. Right in front of me. Okay, we'll go with Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right? Uh, form a triangle. Form a triangle, please. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's perfect. That's great. So, they are one. Correct? And now... The word says that, the word of the Lord is saying that, and, 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 and let, let me read that, right? That they also may be one in us. That they, meaning you and I, may also be one in us. Now, can you just spread out a little bit? 1.5 distance, please. Make sure. Okay, hallelujah. Now, can I just have a couple of volunteers just come up? Come on, Lauren, since you're walking up here. Come here. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Okay. One more, one more person. Come on. Come here. Praise God. Okay, just come here and stand in here. No, no, you guys, you guys out there. You are the Trinity. We are the normal people. <laughs> I mean, not just mere humans. We are now born again. We are, right? So now, can you see that it's saying that we are now in the Trinity? We are one with them. So picture that. Thank you. Picture that aspect that we are now one in with the Trinity. And that is what this verse is really saying, that we may also be one with us. That, sorry, that they may also be one with us of mind and of judgment. That we have the mind of Christ. That we can judge the way He judges. And why? That the world may believe that you have sent me. There are two aspects here. In this verse, one is that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. So here Christ is saying that, that all of us here can be one as just as the Trinity is one. It is a possibility, folks. It is not a dream. It is not a far-fetched dream. It is a reality and a possibility. But the possibility will never ever become a possibility if we don't examine what the word of the Lord says. I will never be able to build any IKEA stuff if I just look at it and see it's a possible. You know, there's a, there's the possibility is there. I have to take it out, I have to read it, I have to work on it and make it happen. And then it goes on to say in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And now the second part, it says, that the world may know. So first it says that the world may believe. Now it says that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So the two different words that are used here is the first time he says that the world may believe you have sent me. And the second time it says that the world may know that you have sent me. That the world may believe. The second time he says that the world may know that you have sent me and love them as you have 
Love, love them as you have loved me. Um, I'm going to be bringing the, this, this plane to a landing right now. So if I can get the team to come up, that would be wonderful. So the word know, what does the word know? It conveys something. It's this, it's, it's, it's new. It's, 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 it's new in addition to the context of believing, right? That word know. It's like another line that has been added to the aspect of belief. Okay. So that the world may believe, right? Now, in addition to believing that the Father sent him, this world would be able to recognize him. And that's the word no. Recognize him mentally. That there is this mental recognition that the world would suddenly know that he has been sent, that the Father had sent him. Now, can I put this to you this way? If we are not one, will the world really know that Jesus was sent by the Father? So, it is really based on us. It requires us to get our act together. It requires us to really work hard, folks. It requires us to really learn how to love one another really well. It requires us to put aside some of our thinking, some of our choices, some of our preferences for the sake of the mission. Because that's what Jesus prayed. It appears to actually strengthen the intention that Christian oneness or unity is intended really to be persuasive. And this oneness is the evidence of the Son or Jesus' authenticity. That people will see that Christ is authentic because we are one. They cannot believe in the authenticity of Christ because we are not one. Think of it like that. So, in my, so as I conclude, I want to conclude with this thought in mind that this is an extremely powerful message from the Lord. It says, Jesus proclaims that the Father and Son are one. Right? So that's a proclamation that is being made. In fact, they are perfectly one. And it then says, this is the kind of oneness that Christ's followers are to experience and exhibit before the world. We are to experience that, this, and we are to exhibit this to the world. And lastly, it says this. It also says that if we become one as the Father and Son are one, the world will know two things. One, Jesus is sent by the Father. And the other is that the Father loves us just as he loves the Son. And you know that. The world knows that. So if we take this just as face value, how do you think this comes up as? If you just take this prayer at face value, this is a world-altering prayer, folks. Let me say that again. This is a world-altering prayer that Jesus prays. He actually assumes that believers really can be one. That is the assumption that Jesus is making. So everything else that you may have forgotten that I've said, this is the point where I wanted to bring us to. That Jesus has made an assumption that you and I, that we can be one. As difficult as it is to comprehend, this is what Jesus believes. Why else would he pray that prayer? As I've been thinking about it, I've been actually asking that question, what, 
Why else did he pray this prayer? Could Jesus have meant this literally? Could the Father really love us as he loves his own son? Could he? The answer is yes, and thank you for saying that. Yes. It is because he has joined us. Why? It's because he has joined us to his son and made it so that we are in him. In fact, actually, we are him and in his son. And we share this oneness. Now I can understand more and more why he says abide, abide like the vine, the branch, to stay there, remain there. That's what this prayer actually says. And so next week, we will explore Paul's rebuke to the Corinthian church for acting like mere men, which in reality really draws them away from the fact that we are one with Christ. I mean, isn't that, so? isn't that true? When we think that we are just mere humans, it takes us away from the propensity of us, you know, having this immense power that Christ has invested in us. We went through communion today. Hey, death, where is your sting? What happened at the cross paved the way for us to experience a sense of oneness that like never before. And, and friends, from a prophetic standpoint, I feel this. Why is there such an attack in today's day and age against oneness? There is an attack in the church to be so divided whilst governments are becoming one. Isn't that bizarre? Hmm. That somehow they're colluding. I don't know who started it first. But somehow this is happening all around the world. Everyone seems to know what to do. Now, I'm no conspiracy theorist, believe me. I, I really don't. I'm, I'm really not that. But I'm just asking these questions, not for us to get into some rabbit trail and, and all of that, but just for us to be aware of the, the, the way the enemy is dealing. So what more is required of us as a church? to really be passionate about unity. Because I believe that's what is being poured out at this day and age. In this season, whatever revival that's going to be taking us into, that whatever revival that's going to be, you know, that, that we're going to be ushered into, whatever revival, it's going to be a revival that is going to see the truth of unity and the one body come into a greater effect. Right? Because that's what's going to bring the greatest of all, the greatest of harvest. Amen. And so the question to us is this. Are we going to be mere men and women? Are, are we going to say, after all, I'm just human? Or are we going to take on the assignment that Christ has prayed? He prayed this because he believes in you and I. Amen.